Can't make it to every NHL arena? Now here's the long and the short of it. We've got you covered with our own rink rat. I'm sure this will be a real bonding experience. Sirius XM's Rob Brinder brings you Rinkside on Lightning Power Play. All right, get out on the ice. Let me see what you can do. Welcome, everybody, to the Rink Rat Show. I'm Rob Brender. The Buffalo Sabres haven't qualified for the playoffs since 2011 and haven't won around since 2007. It's been a very long rebuilding process for a franchise that is still in search of its first Stanley Cup. There have been signs the last couple of years that the talent pool that they've assembled through the lean years is ready to form a winner and help the franchise turn the corner back to contention. But after great starts the last couple of seasons, the team just hasn't been able to sustain success. This year, they got off to an 8-1 one and one record but are currently sitting out of a playoff spot in the highly competitive Eastern Conference. Despite that, there are reasons for the fans in Buffalo to be optimistic. 2015 number two overall pick Jack Eichel has developed into an absolute superstar in his first full NHL season. 24-year-old winger Victor Olofsson, who was a seventh round pick in 2014, has emerged into a real scoring threat. Sam Reinhart is on pace to shatter his career highs in goals and assists, and Rasmus Dahlin is one of the best-looking young defensemen in the game. The question now now is how far off are the Sabres from being true contenders? Joining us to get caught up on everything going on in Buffalo is former 15-year NHL winger, 14 of which were spent with the Sabres. He was the 1999 King Clancy winner, currently an analyst for Sabres TV broadcast. It's the great Rob Ray. Rob, how are you and Happy New Year. I'm doing very well, and thank you very much, and you as well. Uh, looking forward to a, a better year coming up. Yeah, absolutely, and, and let's get into that for a second, because again, you look at the last couple of starts, the start last season, where they had a long winning streak, and then this season, as I mentioned, 8-1-1, one, and one, and I'm sure everybody in Buffalo was thinking, okay, this is the year. The talent pool is ready to advance and take that next step, and then all of a sudden, they go through this major lull right in the middle of the season. Here, over the last couple of months, it's been that lull again. What's going on with this team that they haven't been able to keep up that great start and the pace from the great start? Well, I think at the beginning, obviously, your power play working very well. It was uh, putting up good numbers. You're getting good success from it. Uh, Once teams started figuring it out a little bit, then, you know, the adjustments you've made, uh, you know, just haven't come together yet. And and I think that, uh, you know, they look to change it all the time. They change personnel quite often, you know, pretty much leaving Jack uh, Eichel on the ice for the full two minutes in most cases now. So he's trying to find that magic again. Uh, Ralph Kruger believes that all the momentum you gain through your game comes through the power play. And the power play has just stumbled, stumbled, stumbled. And, you know, they've not been able to kind of gain any momentum from it. Uh, You know, it's just something that they're they're doing the same things, the same personnel on the ice in most cases, just not able to capitalize. Uh, you know, a lot of posts, a lot of missed shots coming close, but, you know, it, it, that's no good. You've got to make sure they get in the back of the nets, and right now they're not going for them. In turn, I think it's really, really weighing on their confidence. Was the feeling coming into the season, from your perspective, even the fan base's perspective, because I'm sure you hear from them on a regular basis, was the feeling that this year's team was ready to take the jump forward? Yeah, yeah, I think the big difference this year was not only the new coach bringing in a, a totally different attitude and, you know, guys seemed to really gel with him early and, you know, they they had smiles on their faces for the first time in a few years and they, you know, just seemed to be working a lot harder and a lot more together. 
but we finally had depth in a lot of different areas that we hadn't had over the past. Uh, you know, a lot of our depth was deplenished, you know, through trades and guys leaving. So it really wasn't built back up and replaced. Uh, it's there now. We have a tremendous amount of D. You know, we're sitting 2D every night now. Uh, so, you know, I think coming in, just knowing that some of the young kids, you know, just getting that year older, and I'm even talking Jack Eichel, Sam Reinhardt, these guys just being that one more year mature, that, you know, everybody kind of thought, hey, this is the year that, uh, along with the young guys coming in, it was it was time to take that step. But when they came out early in the season and they were able to do what they did, it really, really uh, raised expectations around here, not only from organizational-wise, but fan-wise. And now that it's going the other way, it's, you know, when you you give them a little taste, they, they just can't understand when things start going bad. And right now it's not a very good place to be because, you know, especially after yesterday giving up, uh, you know, a 4-1 lead against camp and then giving up five straight goals, this place right now is ready to erupt. Uh, and it's, it's, it's unfortunate, but they've just got to find a way to put the fire out here quick. They're still in the hunt, but they got to find a way to put the fire out. We're talking to Rob Ray, Sabres TV analyst, former 15-year NHL winger, 14 of which in Buffalo, one in Ottawa, and the 1999 King Clancy winner, one of the great tough guys of his era. You mentioned Ralph Kruger, the head coach. They hired him during the offseason. I want to go there next with you. He was actually a director of pro scouting and director of a pro soccer team with the English Premier League. He obviously had spent some time in the NHL, was the head coach of the Oilers 2012 and 2013. Did not work out there. Why do you think they felt like he was the right voice for these young guys? Well, I think the way Ralph comes across and presents himself is a really, really positive way. And I think that, you know, in the last little while, the the guys that they brought in, you know, a little harder, a little, uh, you know, touchy on situations, overcoached sometimes. And I think that Ralph is the kind of guy that comes in and, yeah, he, he coaches, but it, a lot more of it's the mental side of the game as well. And, you know, he doesn't like to put guys in bad situations. He, you know, he says everything positive. Uh, he kind of really, a lot of positive reinsurance with guys if you make a mistake bang you're back out on the ice uh you know he protects the guys a lot but he's just a super super human being and and i think just by him bringing that knowledge that he has about the game and his support staff here is is very good that uh you know the guys the guys enjoy it they like it the the day of the yelling and screaming in your face coach and being hard and and trying to motivate guys that way it's over you've got to have somebody that uh can communicate with these guys and you know, to a man, every one of those guys in the room love this guy because just the, he treats you like a human being. He's not treating you like a player. He's not treating you like a number. He takes a personal interest in every guy, and he gets to know every guy. So, you know, it, it goes an awful long ways. And, you know, obviously right now it's struggling, but, you know, you talk to the guys, it's it, that's the least from their worries is, you know, the guy standing behind the bench. They're, you know, they're, they're pointing fingers at themselves. So, uh, you know, he's he just seems to be the guy that uh, – He's got great ideas, and sometimes you, he'll come out and he'll say, this is what we're going to do, this is how we're going to do it. And as somebody that's played the game, you sit there and go, what, seriously? And then you you step aside and you get to talk to him one-on-one, and he explains, you know, how he's playing, the, and you're like, and you're walking away yourself going, I never even thought of that before. And so his thinking outside the box is excellent, and uh you know, I think it's just as soon as they get all on the same page and, and implemented what he wants to get uh, done, then they'll be fine. But there, there's a big mixture of young guys and, and guys that aren't going to be here. 
there's guys on our roster right now that in a year or so are not going to be a part of this team. And it's going to take time to just work your way through that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, I want to echo what you said. I had a chance to meet him during the World Cup of Hockey a few years ago when he was coaching and had come back to hockey to coach that event. And what a tremendous guy. I mean, as nice and approachable as they come was fantastic. And I'm wondering, actually, you know, if based on what you're saying, it, it sounds like they, they hired him because of the personality even more so maybe than the X's and O's. Does that sound accurate? Yeah, no, 100%. And I think he, he relies on his support staff and assistant coaches a lot for the X's and O's part. And, and he works on the mental side. Uh, no, I, I think it's, that's a big part of it. And, and I think that, you know, not saying he doesn't understand. He knows the game. This guy is an intelligent, intelligent guy. And he's got a lot of great ideas about the game. But, you know, his main concentration is, is on your head and, and the mental part of the game. And, and it's got a lot to do with it anymore. You talk to a lot of these young guys that, you know, they get sidetracked on something. They worry about social media. Oh, they have a bad shift. And, you know, they worry about it till the next time they play. There's so much ways on these guys that uh, he finds a way to get that all out of their heads and, and, and make sure they're just concentrated and they're relaxed and they and can play the game. So he's got a way. He's got a, he's got a very uh, cool, good way that guys appreciate and you know, it's just unfortunate it hasn't happened yet, but I'll, I'll tell you what, it's not because they're not working towards it. It's just, it just hasn't found its way to, uh, you know, within that room to show the wins and losses. Absolutely. The voice you're hearing is Rob Ray, Sabres TV analyst, former 15-year NHL winger. Let's get into Jack Eichel for just a second because you can't do a Sabres interview and not talk about Jack Eichel. He is going to blow past his career high of, of 28 goals, which he set last season. Was a point-per-game player last year. Looks like he's going to surpass that by a handful, maybe even 100 points this year. Was it a matter of adding size for him? He doesn't get pushed around on the ice at all now. Yeah, I think what he's done, he, he's a big, strong guy. And you know, he's so powerful on his skates. And I think what he has kind of brought to his game this year is a little more physical game. And I'm not talking running guys over. I'm talking battling along the walls and coming up with pucks. A lot of the times you're going back and, you know, you're, you're pushing with guys. He's, he's got the power now that he can just throw guys to the side, picks up pucks. You know, and he's able to get himself in those areas. He's brought a much more physical side of his game. And the other part of his game that has got so much better this year alone is his defensive side. And he has made a huge commitment all season long to his defensive side of the game. He's been fabulous. He's always on the top side of the puck. He's always in the right place. And he, in the past, sometimes you see when the play's done in the offensive zone, maybe just kind of slowly coming back into the defensive zone, you know, to kind of reading, kind of figuring out where to help out. I'd say eight out of 10 times now when puck gets turned over in the offensive zone, he's one of the first guys back in the zone getting into that defensive position. So that part of his game has been very good. And I think by doing that and playing that game, it's led to his offense. And, you know, the last little while I, I talked to Ralph the other day and asked about Jack, you know, hasn't been scoring a little bit. He goes, I just think he's cheating a little bit on the defensive game again, and we just got to get that straightened out, and the offense will start to come. And, you know, you see last night, he's a really, really, really nice goal. And, uh, you know, just those little things, it was a shorthanded goal. So he's he's slowly getting it back again. You're going to have lulls in the season, and he's kind of hopefully went through his. But I'll tell you what, he's a powerful, oh, a fantastic shot. But learning to be the leader 
and the upper echelon player that everybody thought he could be, and, and he's showing this year. Yeah, by the way, that goal you're talking about, as effortless and as beautiful as they come. I mean, it was like he, you know, he moved the puck to his forehand and to his backhand like it was nothing. I mean, the guy is effortless. Well, he just he, he sucked in Shattenkirk, and as soon as Shattenkirk made that commitment, bang, he made his move into the middle of the ice, and then it was over from there, and Vasilevsky, he was, he was just hoping he might get a piece of it, but you see this stuff out of Jack all the time, and, and it's just he just awes you so much that it's, you know, it's incredible. And, you know, he's doing it every night. Yeah. And then before it was once every two or three nights. Now you're starting to see it every night. And, and very rare is there a night goes by that you don't get a, you know, get wild by the kid. Absolutely. We're talking to Rob Ray, and I could ask about Jack Eichel probably for a full 15-minute interview, but let's get to a couple other guys. Olofsson has been very interesting. Again, we're talking about a seventh-round pick in 2014, so the expectations naturally are low when it comes to a guy that's picked in the seventh round. But all of a sudden, has emerged as a legit scoring threat. What's gone on with his game that he's become this guy? Well, to begin with, he's not a young kid either. He's like 24 years old when he steps in and gets his chance. A little more mature, uh, you know, understands things a little more. So that that has helped him out. Uh, coming in and, and putting him on with Eichel and Reinhardt at the beginning of the year has helped him out tremendous. Uh, got off to a great start just on that off wing for the power play. And Jack talks about it all the time. He says, I love giving this guy the puck because I know I'm going to get it back. If he doesn't put it in the back of the net, he knows he's going to get it back. And, uh, you know, for a guy like that to say that he wants to give Olsen a puck, a young guy like this, then that speaks volumes for everybody. But he's got a fantastic release. Uh, he, you know, on that outside, he's, he gets it. It's on the stick for a split second. It's always a lot of the time up top. But very, very, very good hands in that area. But five on five at the beginning of the year, he was having a little difficulty. Uh, I think maybe it was the pace of the game and just kind of figuring it all out. But he's really come a long ways here in the last couple of months of knowing where to be defensively, uh, being responsible defensively, even killing the penalties that he is. Uh, he's done a good job with that. But he is one of these guys that works at it all the time. Marcus Johansson has been fabulous for him and Asplund because he has these kids all the time. You see them everywhere, where it's on the plane, hotels, whatever always got plays on his phone. He's always walking through with him, telling him, you know, talking about what's happening. And I think that they've learned a ton from this guy and they've, they've been, you know, they've been good students because you could add Aspen to that side too, that uh, he's come in and he's done a very good job. Maybe not putting the numbers up, but this kid's becoming one of our best uh, defenders and penalty killers here in the last little while. Yeah, love rooting for guys, by the way, like Olofsson. The seventh-round pick, those are the guys that you want to see succeed the most, I think. So I hope that uh, this continues throughout his career. Rob, what about Casey Middlestat? What is he? First-round pick in 2017, 25 points in 77 games last season, really slow start so far this year offensively. What is Casey Middlestat? Well, you know, the best thing they did was send Casey to Rochester because I think he was struggling so bad with his confidence that, you know, it just seemed like everything he was trying to do wasn't working. Uh, he's a very emotional guy that you can see every night, you know, every shift, every other shift, you're coming off, head hanging, frustration just oozing out of him. Uh, he was brought in here and he was put in a really bad situation at the beginning. You know, a young kid, not maybe 100% ready to be at this level, you know, you put him in a number two center position, expecting an awful lot from him. Uh, you know, a kid that's never really had to play that way. Hey, you come in, be that number two center. You, we want you to score goals. We want you to do everything you've done all the way up through. Well, it's it's not that easy. 
And I, I think that by him not having that success early enough or enough of it, it's really weighed on this guy. And, you know, they finally decided to put him down to Raj to give him a little uh, opportunity to, to, to find some success and maybe get his, you know, his head back up and, and make him feel a little better about himself. And I think everybody here is just hoping that when the time comes, he comes back up here, that he could be that player. But, uh, you know, sometimes you got to suck it up and, and say, hey, I'm not 100% ready. And, you know, get down there and work on your game and fine-tune things and find yourself a little bit. And, and I think that's exactly the situation that Casey's in. And and I, I, there's no doubt in my mind he can be a good player and he's going to be a productive player in this league. But, uh, you know, he's right now, he's just trying to make sure that, you know, he can he can get himself playing games and being productive and maybe not thinking the game so much, just relaxing a little more. Mm. Yeah, it looked like he was going to be the uh, the Robin to Eichel's Batman, if you will, but it just hasn't worked out yet. But maybe, yeah. like you said, maybe just a little little bit of uh, time down in uh, the A, and he can work his way back. I want to ask you about Jeff Skinner, too, by the way, because that's the somewhat big news on the injury front with this team as of late. Going to be out for a few weeks. Anything new on that? No, still just the, the three to four weeks. I uh, got hit there the other night uh, against Boston. Kind of his shoulders messed up a little bit, but... You know, there's another guy that's having a tough, tough time, man. He was tough time finding the net, but they're having a tough time finding somebody to play with this guy. And, you know, kind of just bumped off from Olsen coming in and kind of put on that second second line and re- us really not having that number two centerman that could play with him and be productive. He's played with just about everybody on the team so far this year. And another situation where he was very frustrated. Uh, you know, it's unfortunate he got hurt at this time, but... You know, sometimes maybe just an injury like this gets him a little time to sit back and regroup, and and you know, hopefully when he comes back, he's he's ready to go and maybe a little more refocused on what he's got to do. So, uh, another that's two really tough situations here for the Sabers that uh, you know we're good at the beginning of the year and just it's just not uh, continue to fall through. Just a few more minutes here with Rob Ray, Sabers TV analyst. What about the ceiling on Dalene? I'm fascinated to hear your take on where you think he can get to as far as level of defenseman. I don't think anybody could really say how good this kid can be. Um, you're seeing him every night. He, you know, he still will make the odd young guy mistake. Uh, you know, being the defenseman, you're going to see that quite often. But he is just so dynamic when he's going up. He's such a wonderful skater, stick handler. He sees the ice so well. Uh, you know, offensively, he finds holes. He's willing to jump in. And for not being a big guy, he's he's willing to jump into that physical side. I'm not talking running guys over and initiating the, the big contact, but he's willing to put himself in those areas to get hit, to make the play. Hmm. But his distribution of the puck and his uh, ability to just kind of have visual on the ice and what's going on. Some nights he makes these passes. You're like, how the heck did he just see that guy? Like it was almost impossible to see, hmm. but his head's always up. You never see him with the head down always, you know, finding his next option and, and determining where the puck's going to go. But he's got it all. And I'll tell you what, even better, he's a great, great kid. And he understands, respects everything he's getting. He understands the opportunity. is a fabulous uh, chance for him. And he works hard at it. He works at his game. You know, he's like Jack. You know, Ralph said the other day, we push Jack, but he pushes himself even harder. And Darlene's another one of these guys that's the same thing. He's He's got a great work ethic, and he and he makes sure not only on the ice but off the ice. He makes sure that everything he does is going towards making him a better hockey player. So 
to say what the ceiling is, I, I don't think uh, we're going to see that for quite some time. By the way, you know, I'm going over these players. We're talking Darlene and Eichel and even Skinner when he's healthy, although, as you say, kind of a, a slow start offensively this year. They have pieces, right? There, there seems like it's a nice core of young talent. How close do you think they are? What do they really need to do here to get over the top? Well, right now you've you've got uh, extra defensemen here. You're always rotating guys in and out. Uh, I think that kind of hurts a little bit sometimes because you're not keep you're keeping you know four guys, five guys in the lineup for most of the time. You get the other guys in and out, um, and I think that kind of disrupts the flow a little bit. I think you're still trying to figure out who's going to fit in your. You've got a you've got your number one line and your fourth line with Proposal Gerges and Larson when they're healthy and everybody's going. That's that's an excellent line. They've done a great job this year. But I think right now we're all from the coaching staff is just trying to figure out the, the middle six. Who who has chemistry with who, who can play with who, what limitations are for each guy. And I think that's that's right now what they gotta figure out because if you're gonna look at a part of our game that's inconsistent with offense, you know, Jimmy BC scores last night. First time in a while, Sherry, you know, first time in a while. There's no consistency to the offense in that middle six grouping. And I think right now they're just hoping that someday a game, whatever it may be, all of a sudden something will come out where, hey, these guys, these three guys are making it happen. So instead of having your one line offensively, you're going to have a two, three lines that you can depend on offensively. And then you got your fourth line as, you know, a good defensive penalty killing group. So right now, Winning too much on the number one line scoring goals and not enough in your middle six and you're still you're actually getting very good productivity out of your fourth line. Yeah, it's uh, it's actually a pretty nice young group though. At least there's some yeah, reason to be optimistic. I have one more for you, Rob. What about for you? Uh, 15 years in the NHL, you were in Buffalo all that time. You get to broadcast on TV now with them. You've been doing it for uh, quite a few years. When it comes to your career, did you ever think that TV was going to be the route post playing career? No, you know what? I got the call from Larry Quinn, who was running our team just the year this, when I was retiring and asked me, and it was like, hey, okay, I'm like, come tomorrow. And tomorrow was the first game of the year. Hmm. And going in the air with Danny Gary and Sandy doing it, and then went from Danny and I doing it to intermissions and pregame. And then when Harry Neal decided to retire, that uh, Rick Jennerett said, hey, I'll keep doing this if you do it with me. And at the time, he told me he was only going to do it for a couple more years, and that was probably 10 years ago now, that uh, never had anybody lie to me so bad. But <laughs> it, it's been so much fun. And, you know, Rick Jenner had so fun to work with, you know, even being age separation. He's a 79-year-old man, and, you know, you have so much fun with him. He's got a great personality, great character. And even though things have been tough the last few years, we try to keep it fun. And, you know, kind of distract a lot. But, yeah, it's it's the greatest job you can have because you don't have to be in shape anymore. You can eat and drink whatever you want. You just show up at the rink <laughs> on game day. You don't have to work out anymore. And they still pay you. So, you know, it's perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect world. And you get to work with a legend, like you said, which uh, yep. could, could be a whole lot worse. Hey, Rob, thanks for the time. Really do appreciate it. Safe travels the rest of the year. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you. All right, thanks very much. Take care. Have a good New Year. You as well. That's the great Rob Ray, Sabres TV analyst, former 15-year NHL winger. This is the Rink Rat Show. We are back after this. Are you a mouse or a man? As a matter of fact, no. We're neither. We've got a rat. Rob Brinder is the Rink Rat. 
on Lightning Power Play. Welcome back to the Rink Rat Show. I'm Rob Brender. Original six franchise, the Boston Bruins, have been to the playoffs three consecutive years in 10 of the last 12. That includes three trips to the Stanley Cup Finals and a championship in 2011. They represented the Eastern Conference in the Finals last season before falling to the St. Louis Blues. They have been a model of consistency and success for the last decade and beyond. The recipe for all the winning can be looked at in a simplistic way. They've been able to draft and develop a tremendous core of talent, but most importantly, they found a way to keep that core together, sustaining continuity and expectations. They feature one of the top lines in the league for the last several years with Brad Marchand, David Posternak, and Patrice Bergeron. They have toughness and skill on the blue line, led by veteran captains Dano Chara and young stud Charlie McAvoy, and their goaltending tandem of Tuka Rask and Yaro Alak have been outstanding so far this season. It is a team that will definitely be in the mix again for the Stanley Cup. Joining us to go deeper into everything going on in Boston is their fantastic radio play-by-play broadcaster Judd Surratt. Judd, Happy New Year. How are you, my friend? Happy New Year. Great to be with you. It's a pleasure to have you. So I just kind of reeled off quickly some of the things that impressed me the most about this Boston team. You've been with them now for three seasons. Are you as impressed as I am? And even when you weren't with them, just looking from the outside and and kind of judging what they've been able to do here over the last decade or so, are you as impressed as I am with their ability to draft and develop? Well, just listening to your intro, I think you get an idea of uh, what a decade it's been for the Boston Bruins going back, starting in 2010 to where we are now. Uh, The Bruins making three different appearances in the Stanley Cup final and winning it uh, in 2011 for the first time in 39 years at the time. Uh, and, and I think the success of the organization, when you see it from the outside and now from the inside here the last few seasons, it's from the core and it's from the management. Um, I, I think for every organization around the National Hockey League, you can usually draw a line for a team that's been successful right to ownership and management down through the team and the culture that they've created. And with the guys at the top of the organization for the Bruins and Cam Neely and Don Sweeney now, uh, and then you see the leadership that's on the ice and Zidane Chara at 42, who's a shoe-in Hall of Famer, as is Patrice Bergeron, Brad Marchand, and the core uh, that surrounds this group. Uh, I think you get a, a sense of why they have been so successful here over the last decade and why you know, they should be uh, in the mix once again to challenge for a Stanley Cup title. As you you look at that leadership group, and you just talked about Cam Neely, a guy who was a Boston Bruin essentially his entire career, and and a guy who loves, you you look at him, you think Boston Bruin when you look at Cam Neely, and Sweeney kind of the same thing. How important was it, do you think, for ownership to have guys who were Boston Bruins, who take pride in the organization running the thing for them now? Oh, I think it's enormous. Um, You know, for Cam Neely, remember, he came over, he was originally drafted by the Vancouver Canucks. He comes to Boston, and his He was a good player before, but his career really uh, took off when he got here to Boston. He was, um, when he was playing, maybe the premier power forward in the National Hockey League. And had he not had some knee and hip injuries, who knows uh, the type of numbers he could have ultimately put up. But even in the short span that he played, it was still worthy of the Hall of Fame. Uh, And then you get a guy in Don Sweeney. And I don't know how well everybody knows Don Sweeney, but Don is maybe, I don't know, 5'10" maybe about 170 pounds. Uh, He is third or fourth all-time in Bruins games played. And he played in an era, which is very different than the era that you see now, uh, where it was bigger 
and stronger and tougher and nastier and you could hook, hold, obstruct and do all the things that you can't really do now because uh, the league wanted to see skill and speed and scoring and offense and the ability to come back. But he embodies, along with Cam, I think the type of character that matters to the Bruins. And I, and I think it's the identity of the team uh, that matters. Uh, a, a team that has high character, a team that is focused uh, on the way it plays in its own end, uh, how strong they are as you look at, at the team right now uh, in that the way they defend and how strong they are down the middle, these are the, the components that made the Bruins such a success here in the last decade. It's part of the reason that they're still one of the best teams in the National Hockey League. But to your point, having guys like Cam Neely and Don Sweeney who understand the history and what the organization means to Boston and what it's been about over the years, uh, it's important to have those two guys in place. Voice here in is Judd Surab, Bruins Radio play-by-play broadcaster. And with that, Judd, the players that they have now, as I mentioned, they've been able to keep especially the top players, that core group together for so many years. So they're drafting them, they're developing, and then they're keeping that group. I just don't know how they're able to do it. You look around the league and almost every single team, they, they'll lose a star here just because they can't afford in the cap era to keep everybody together. How have they been able to keep that core on this group and on this team together? Well, I think it's about the salary cap. I think, you know, in many ways, uh, and to your point, uh, if you want to be able to, to, to try and ice the best team possible year after year after year, you have to be successful in drafting and developing. But you also have to try and sign guys to contracts that make sense. If you look at the contracts that say, let's go a little bit more current than a guy like Patrice Bergeron, that Brad Marchand and David Pasternak are currently under. And then this year, just before training camp started, the deals that Charlie McAvoy and Brandon Carlos, uh, that they were inking uh, just as we were about ready to start training camp. There were, they were bridge deals, but they made sense that allowed a guy like Don Sweeney to be able to add components both this year and maybe next year going forward. Now, the Bruins are going to have some choices here uh, looking ahead. They have a few guys that they have to get under contract. As far as restricted free agents, Jake DeBrusque is the first name that comes to mind. Unrestricted free agents – they have a big decision to make on Tory Crew. Um, what type of term and dollar amount does a guy like Crew want uh, going forward? Um, that that's a that's a question that's up in the air, uh, and it's difficult to determine at this point. Does he want to take maybe a little bit of a hometown discount to be able to continue uh, to further the core? He's a big part of the secondary leadership tier for the Boston Bruins, but at the same time, we're also talking about one of the league's best offensive defensemen over the last six or seven years. So what could he possibly get on the open market? And then the other reason or the other signing that you got to take a look at is Yaroslav Halak. The Bruins, their strength is in net. The bedrock of the team is in net. Yaroslav Halak has been terrific uh, last year, this year as well. What could he command on the open market and what are his desires going forward? But to keep a talented group together, you have to be, you have to not only draft and develop, but you have to be able to sign guys to contracts at numbers and terms that make sense. Yeah, and the fact that they've been willing to do that, and maybe in some cases even taking a little bit less to stay with this group, is always kind of the mark of a championship team. You mentioned Tory Krug. I want to actually go there next for a second. 
personally, and again, looking from the outside in, I just don't think he gets enough credit around the National Hockey League for being as good as he is. When they talk about the Bruins, you talk about defense, you mentioned Dano Chara. He's obviously number one on the list. Charlie McAvoy, deservedly so, a young stud, probably number two. Crew kind of gets lost in that mix. And I think, you know, again, you will look at his game and you look at the numbers he's put up over the last five, six years. He's a tremendous player who, as you said, is probably going to command a ton of money if he was able to get to free agency. Does he get enough credit for being as good as he is? Well, it's a fascinating question. I think watching Torrey and the way he played last year in the playoffs, I think it opened a lot of people's eyes if they weren't necessarily following the Bruins and they think of Torrey Krug as just a one-dimensional, offensive-minded player, a guy who can really quarterback your power play and is still, even though he's out of the lineup right now, the Bruins may get him back sometime in early January, maybe the first week. He is still among the league leaders, among power play assists, um, but uh, last year in playing with Brandon Carlo, uh, because Charlie McAvoy was playing primarily with Zidane Chara, I think Bruce Cassidy challenged him during the course of the season. And it's not the first time, but I, I think it was really the first time in talking to Tory Krug that he got some traction with it. He said, how do you want to be known? What, do you, what type of defenseman do you want people to think of you as? Um, and, and he put him out in matchups against some pretty good players. Uh, in the conference finals, it was Justin Williams. In the second round, it was Josh Anderson. Uh, and in Anderson in particular, uh, you're talking about a player who has a size differential, or if he's playing against Nick Foligno, or if he's playing against Boone Jenner. You have to be able to stand your ground. And I think Krug, for a lot of people who may not have paid attention, I, I think he opens some eyes in his ability to defend uh, in addition to move pucks uh, out of his own zone. So, uh, I think it's in Tory's game. I think we certainly saw it last year in the playoffs. Uh, and if he does hit the open market, because I think the Bruins have a firm understanding of what his value is and what his skill set contains. But if he hits the open market, um, there's certainly a chance that someone could pay him for the type of two-way play that he can illustrate. Yeah, absolutely. There's always a team out there that's willing to give that big contract. We're talking to Judd Surratt, Bruins Radio Play-By-Play broadcaster. You, you mentioned the power play, Judd. I was actually going to ask you about that as well. It's been really good this year, and David Pasternak is right in the middle of it, as you would expect, putting the puck in the net on a pretty regular basis. What has been the key to that power play this year with Pasternak right now leading the league in power play goals? Well, there are a handful of exceptional power plays. Tampa Bay is certainly one. The Edmonton Oilers are a fabulous power play. Uh, I know Vancouver's having a terrific season. But when you look at the group that the Bruins put out there, and the second unit really doesn't get out there all that often because the first unit is typically so successful, or sometimes they stay a little bit longer than I think head coach Bruce Cassidy would like. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, um, it's the artistry. It's the creativity. It's the preparation. It's the combination of all those things because they have so many different different weapons. And for a guy like Tory Krug, so he'll quarterback it, and much like a quarterback, he'll go through his reads. The Bruins, because they have a guy like Patrice Bergeron, typically win the pace off. So the Bruins start with a puck. His first read, down to Bergeron in the bumper. A lot of teams have started to take that away. Second option, one-timer for Pasternak in the left circle. A lot of teams have started to take that away. So now you've got some other options. So then he bumps the puck down to the right half wall to Brad Marchand, and then he made trade positions with Marchand, and then the movement begins. His last option is probably looking for Jake DeBrusque or Danton Heinen out in front, and the Bruins have, have sort of worked back and forth 
with those options during the course of the year. Um, and, and then the beauty of it, beyond working their way through those progressions, is once they get shots through their ability to recover pucks, and then they really start to break penalty kills down. And it, it's a, a combination of all those factors that's made that man advantage so deadly. Is it a continuity thing? Because in order to have that type of artistry where everybody knows where they're going, they know where they want to pass the puck, they know where they want to move, they know the options, you need to be together for a while. It is, uh, but at the same time, so Krug has been out of the lineup here for a couple of weeks um, at at different points in time, and Matt Grizzlick has been the guy who's been asked to man the power play. And including the game on New Year's Eve in New Jersey, the Bruins power play has registered goals in eight straight games. So now the bulk of the unit is the same, but there have been some changes, certainly up top and in front of the net. Danton Heinen was a healthy scratch uh, on New Year's Eve. Pasternak is a 100-plus point player this year. I don't think there's any question about that. We're looking at a point-per-game guy, Judd, over the last couple of years, and now all of a sudden he has become an elite goal scorer, even more so than he was over those last couple of years. What's the ceiling? Is there a ceiling at this point for Pasternak? I mean, is he going to explode up to Connor McDavid's status when it comes to putting up goals? Well, two different players. First, Connor's a center, and David Pasternak's a winger. Um, David last year could have easily tracked toward the high 40s, maybe 50. So he injured his thumb late last year. He ended up with 38 goals and I want to say 66 games. He is certainly on track for his first 50-goal season. Um, and remember, he is only 23 years old. And uh, I think he's going to continue to get better. He's going to continue to get stronger. Uh, he is a fabulous player. And I think what you've also seen, which has to be scary for all the teams that play against him, is just how much more mature that he has gotten. Pasternak will tell you, you know, here in the last month or so, teams have taken him away on the power play, but he hasn't gotten frustrated. Instead, what he's added this year is his ability to make plays. He's not just a shooter. He can be a playmaker, and he's looking for those opportunities. He's gone tape to tape quite a bit with whether it's Bergeron or Martian to be able to tally goals. Yeah, he is tremendous. Just so much fun to watch. And as you said, so young. You almost forget how young he is because he's been in the league now a few years. We're talking to Judd Surratt, Bruins radio play-by-play broadcaster. Let's talk about Brad Marchand. 31 years old, career-high 100 points last season. On pace to shatter that this year. Right now, as we do this interview, he's tied with uh, Pasternak for the team lead in points. How has he gotten better as he's gotten older? Uh, Marchand is a fabulous player to watch. I, I know for teams in Tampa or anywhere around the National Hockey League, teams, and, and I get it, you know, he's a villain when he walks into the building, but all 30 of those teams would love to have Marchand on their team. And it's still baffling to me that he did not get selected uh, to the National Hockey League's All-Star team. He wasn't even a voting guy. Yeah. It's Patrice Bergeron for the Boston Bruins. And I get it. You know, someone is going to get snubbed at some point. But Marchand, he's having an MVP campaign. Uh, he's just a stone's throw from Connor McDavid off the league lead in scoring. But he can do it all. Remember, when he came into the National Hockey League, I think he was projected as a fourth-line energy guy. And now we're talking about him as a premier player and maybe a guy, if he continues to put up these numbers, that you have to start to consider for the Hall of Fame. I know we're a long way off, but if you look at the numbers, think about it and take a look at what he's been able to do over the past decade, um, you know, right now, so Marchand just tallied his 20th goal the other day. I think that's seven consecutive seasons. 
of 20 goals for Brad Marchand. Uh, he's been an even better playmaker. Bruce Cassidy and I had this conversation the other day that I think when Marchand first came to the league, maybe he wasn't as focused uh, on making plays. It was about scoring goals and getting to the front of the net. But now his game has widened out, and he's used his uh, the guys that he's playing with, primarily Patrice Bergeron and David Pasternak, to be able to tally points. But Marchand is a guy that you can rely on at both ends of the ice in high matchup situations, in high leverage situations, uh, and he is just a fabulous player. Judd, he is, for me, he's Tom Wilson, right? He's the guy that you love to have on your team and you hate if he's on the other team, right? He fits sure. the exact mold. He is the irritator and the agitator, and he's done some stuff that has gone way over the top. But, boy, he is a tremendous, tremendous player offensively. Let's go to the blue line really quick, Judd, uh, while we have a few seconds here. Uh, Zdano Char, 42 years old, over 21 minutes uh, time on ice so far this year. Can he keep that up at 42? No one is in the type of physical condition that Zdano Char is. And I think he was on the cutting edge years ago uh, in how to train. And there is no one like him still in the National Hockey League as far as conditioning. Here was a guy who broke his jaw in the Stanley Cup final, had to have elbow surgery as well during the offseason. And he was upset that because he had to go through some surgical procedures, it put him back six to seven weeks from his normal training. Because normally what he would have done had the injuries he not sustained during the playoffs last year, he would have been back in the gym the very first day after Game 7 against the St. Louis Blues. Hmm. That's what he's about. That's a part of the culture. Um, you know, to go way back to the beginning and, and what you had mentioned, what makes the Bruins successful, you can draw a line as well to a guy like Zdeno Chara and the type of message that he sends to the rest of the team with the work ethic that he has. It's, it's fascinating because I think if you look at a guy like Chara, who would you want? Look around the National Hockey League. In the last minute of the game, you're nursing a one-goal lead. Who would you like to have on the ice, up a goal, in the last minute for a, a D-zone face-off? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I think Zidane Ochara has got to be one of those guys in the team picture. He is so hard to play against because of the six-foot-nine-inch frame, because of the reach, because of the physicality, because of his ability to block shots. I think he is still one of the most talented players and one of the best defenders from the blue line down to the goal line uh, and in the D zone without the puck on his stick. He is just, he is so hard to get around and so hard to score against. How long does he want to play? I don't know. Uh, That's a really good question. Uh, We're talking about a guy at last check is like plus 18, plus 19, still logging some huge minutes. And, and again, in some, key situations for the Boston Bruins. Um, How long he wants to go, I have no idea. But as soon as he retires and you have that time period that he has to wait, uh, he's going into the Hall of Fame. And then at some point, his number will be retired here in Boston. Absolutely. And by the way, as a 41-year-old, he is my motivation. (laughs) I look at that guy and I say, I need to be like that. Why can't I hit the gym every day and uh, play like that on the ice? Uh, It would be a lot more fun. He's a fascinating guy. I don't know if you had a chance to, to get to know him, but he speaks many different languages. He is well-read. Uh, I, I think he has a, a variety of different interests, uh, and he is one of the most fascinating guys around the National Hockey League. Yeah, and a, and a really friendly guy from what I remember. I interviewed him once during the uh, the World Cup of Hockey 
four years ago now. I think it's four years ago. Um, yeah. With the when he was playing for one of the international teams, I thought, boy, this guy for somebody who's been around, he was willing to stick around in the locker room, talk to everybody. And again, maybe it was just the day, and it wasn't you know mid season during the Bruins season, but uh, certainly very accommodating and willing to talk to the media, which I thought was great. And he gave me a lot of time, which uh, was fabulous. One last one for you, Judd. We've been talking to Judd Surratt, Bruins radio play by play broadcaster, does a great job there. If there is a weakness on this roster, what is it? Well, they have two things that they probably want to address. Uh, I think if you look in the big picture for the Bruins, part of their issue here this season is that their middle two lines haven't been as productive or as consistent as they would like. The top line's been great. Uh, they recently put together uh, or put back together Corrali, Nordstrom, and Wagner. That was a fabulous line for them all throughout the playoffs and a key component in the way that Bruce Cassidy likes to deploy his group. Uh, I think for years, the Bruins have been trying to find the right answer on the right side with David Krejci. But he and Jake DeBrusque have not necessarily taken off this season. The Bruins acquired Charlie Coyle last year uh, at the trade deadline, and he and Marcus Johansson, who was not a part of Buffalo, he was fabulous in the playoffs and was a mismatch every time that he was on the ice. Now, he does have the ability to play the right side, and the Bruins at times have moved him up to play with David Krejci. But I think that they would like to keep him at center but they haven't found the right combination that works with a guy like Coyle as well. Is that whether it's the right wing or left wing, Andres Bjork has played a lot this season with Charlie Coyle, and I think they think that Bjork is promising, but he has to bring that along. On the back end, if the Bruins are healthy, um, I think that they like their group. One of the components that they have missed all season long, and they missed him all throughout the playoffs last year, was Kevin Miller. Uh, and for people who don't know, he is a big physical, menacing, right-handed defenseman. I think that if the Bruins have the ability, I think that they would like to be able to get a guy like that or a right wing to play on your second or third line to help you offensively up front, to spread the wealth a little bit. The Bruins are still, I want to say, in the top eight or nine teams' uh, goals per game in the National Hockey League. But those are the two needs that, that they need to assess. There's still a chance they could see Kevin Miller come back in the lineup Connor Clifton, who just got dinged up here recently, uh, has done a good job. Uh, but at the same time, he's still a very young player. He's technically uh, a rookie here in the National Hockey League. Doesn't necessarily have the size of the experience for a guy like Kevin Miller. But those are the components, I think. If, Do if Don Sweeney can add at the trade deadline and bolster his team, those are the things that he's looking for. Judd, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thanks for the time. Happy New Year to you. Safe travels throughout the rest of the season, okay? Happy New Year to you, Rob, and uh, all the best down the road. Absolutely. That's Judd Surratt, Bruins radio play-by-play -play broadcaster. This is the Rink Rat Show. We'll see you next week.